Wow, are you in awe of God? I should hope so. He is awe-inspiring without a doubt. Well, if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 17, as we're studying the, the 11th hour, we call it, the last of the, the last. I mean, we're nearing the end of the book of Revelation. We're actually ending the, uh, the, the end of everything um, that's in human history. And so when you think about it, that, that's a big deal. And in fact, uh, in chapters 17, 18, and 19, during these three chapters, we're going to uh, read about the dramatic conclusion to this cosmic battle that's been going on since before the foundations of the, of the earth, when you think about it. It's this battle between good and evil, and it's the, the ultimate battle, really, between God and Satan. And so this is a big deal. When you stop to think about what's going on at this part of the, of the Bible in chapter 17, 18, and 19, um, you, you go all the way back to the beginning. Lucifer was one of the angels in a, in a high-ranking position in God's heavenly kingdom, and he came to that conclusion that he could do things better than God. And he wanted to be like the Most High. And he convinced a third of the angels in heaven to join him in his rebellion. Now, this Lucifer named Satan has been wreaking havoc on the earth ever since, hasn't he? When you think about all that he's done, go back to the beginning. He convinced Adam and Eve to disobey God. He convinced them to take of the forbidden fruit. And what happened? That brought sin and death into the world. And it even made hell our default place. That's our default destiny. Unless something intervenes, that's where we are headed by nature because we're sinners. And death is the result of that but then God promised a path of forgiveness through a special people, and he, he chose a, a special group of people, the Jews. And so what did Satan do? He attempted to annihilate them. Satan went out of his way to annihilate the Jews, and he's been doing that ever since. And it began with uh, the nation of Egypt and the persecution of the, of the Jews by Egypt and, and continued on. And you know what, though? God kept his, his plan. God's plan always came through. And God did provide a, pro, a, a promise, and he promised this path of of forgiveness through the Jews, but he also created that path of forgiveness by sending his son, Jesus Christ, that we just sang about today. But what did Satan do? He was there. He attempted to kill him. And he rose up through Herod with an attempt to kill Jesus before he had the opportunity to save us from our sins. And now that Jesus has paid for our sins, Satan is trying to reduce the number of people saved from sin and death and hell. And so he's been trying to persecute the Jews, and he's been trying to persecute the Christians, the followers of Christ, ever since. And this battle has been going on all through human history. Now we're coming to chapter 17, 18, and 19, and we're seeing the conclusion to this, this amazing event. And so, uh, so what we're going to do... Um, Chapter 17, 18, 19, it's very easy in these chapters to get lost in the forest because there are a lot of details in, in chapter 17, 18, and 19 and that you can get bogged down in there. So what I'd like to do is do a quick flyover and we'll look at, at, at all three chapters and kind of where it, where it goes and then we'll, we'll land the plane and we'll hike through it as well. Does that make sense? So if you're with me for that, let's take a look at the big picture of Revelation 17 through 19. We begin with the vision of the harlot and the beast. And you might remember from two weeks ago, we began that, the vision of the harlot and the beast. And so John receives this vision of a harlot that's riding a beast. Um, two weeks ago, we went through verse, uh, verses 1 through 6, where we see the vision. Today, we'll be going verses 7 through 14, and we'll look at the explanation of that vision. 
From there, we find the fall of the harlot, which is also called Babylon. So we're going to see the, the end of, of Babylon, the, the harlot. We're going to see some interesting responses from there um, in, in uh, the following portions. We'll see about the responses to the fall of Babylon. We'll see about the, the response by the world. We'll see the response to, that takes place in heaven. And then finally, we'll see the fall of the beast. So just to give us a general idea where we're, where we're headed for, through these chapters, we have this vision of the harlot and the beast, and then we're going to see the fall of both of those as well as a response to what's going on in the world. Does that make sense? So you're with me? So what we're going to do now is we're going to land in that first section, the vision of the harlot and the beast. And two weeks ago, we looked at the vision of the harlot and the beast. This week, we're going to look at the explanation of that. So if you'll turn with me to chapter 17, verses, verse, uh, verses 7 through 14, we'll read today. Uh, but let's begin my reading verses 7 through, uh, through 9. And just a reminder that la- in verse 6, after John saw the vision of the beast, it says that he marveled. He marveled at this, was amazed. That's why we pick up a verse 7 right here when it, we read. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So the angel said, don't, you, don't have to be marvel, you don't have to marvel this, John. You want to know what this all means? I'm about to tell you. And I'm sure in John's mind it's like, awesome. Because he just saw the vision of the, the harlot and the beast. And what does that even mean? And, and here, now he has an explanation coming. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, how many of you, when you first read that, got a little bit confused? Anyone? All right. I I did too. And I'm thinking, I have to preach this, right? So I had to get into it a little bit. But when you stop thinking about it, it's actually not as confusing as it sounds uh, when you you start thinking about it because it's like when we think, well, it wasn't, but it is, and it it is again. What what does that even mean? And... uh, and so we'll take, a, we'll take a closer look at that. But let's remember in context from last week, the harlot was the satanic counterfeit order that promises peace. Remember, it promises peace, but actually tries to kill Jews and Christians. Uh, we also learned that it was going to be based uh, in Babylon, which is Iran, and it was going to encompass a, a conglomeration of Arabic nations in that area, which I find very interesting that there is a religion that dominates every single one of those countries that is called the way of peace, or Islam in Arabic, and, and attempts to kill Christians and Jews, right? right. So we see that, uh, we saw that last week. So that's the, the harlot from last week. This week, the, the focus is now on the identification of the beast. Look what it, let's go back to verse 8. It said, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Now, the idea is, it says that it was, there was a time when it existed Then he says, but is not, that means at the time that John was reading this, it was no longer in existence, and then it will be, means that at some point in the future it is going to exist again. So it was was existing, it died, it, it, it didn't exist, and then it came back. So it's this revival of an empire of some sort. Um, Now, if you remember back in chapter 13, we already got a glimpse of this. And the beast in chapter 13 was a kingdom ruled by the Antichrist. That was a, and it was a revival of a past ire, uh, empire. 
And you might remember, too, that, that what sparked it, so that the world would marvel, same word, that the world would marvel at what was going on, was some type of a resuscitation of someone, of a past em uh, emperor who was dead, didn't exist, and then is resuscitated. By the way, that's a little bit different than resurrected. Right? Keep that in mind, because this is Satan's counterfeit. And, and God's truth, there's a, re a resurrection, and we celebrate that every Resurrection Sunday, right? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a little bit different because this is a, is a resuscitation. The difference is that when Jesus Christ was resurrected, he was no longer bound, he was no longer affected by death. This resuscitated person, we're going to find out, has a different end. And so we have this resuscitation. And so when we look at this together, I think it's fair to say that the beast of this vision is the revival of past empires that have persecuted God's people. In fact, if you take this all the way back to the book of Daniel, it's, I believe this is the iron from the iron and clay feet of that, of that, um, that image. Do you remember that? Because you had the different, starting with the head of Babylon, then the Medo-Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. But then you have a revival because it's the same material. You have iron, but it's not just iron, it's clay. I believe that that clay represents the, the, the desert nations, the Arabic nations that are joining together, the harlot and the beast working together. By the way, I think it's interesting to note that if you look at the top 30 incidents of mass murder, I'm talking about genocidal murders, and you look at those, I looked at those online, and it is very difficult to find any single one of them that doesn't come out of these two ideologies. You have the ideology of Islam, and you wouldn't believe how many times the, the genocide, um, the genocides that took place, took place from Muslim leaders, or from godlessness. The, 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 from communist type of leaders where the, the, the ideology begins with the notion that there is no God and that we're in charge. And I'll tell you what, you see that all through history. So I'll throw that out there. I, I believe this is that iron, the, the clay there. And then look what it says again at the second half of, of verse 8. It says, And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not, and yet is. So there, the world will see this revival of a past em empire. I believe it, it will be sparked, as we learned in, in, in chapter 13, through the resuscitation of some type of, future, uh, or some type of past leader in the, in the earth dwellers. They're going to marvel. But again, once again in this chapter, we see this contrast here between the earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth, which up to this point, every time that term has been used, the earth dwellers, it has been negative. It, is, it refers to the, the crowd, the, the, the large group of people that they go. And according to this, the earth dwellers are going to marvel. What does that mean? They're going to be duped. They will be duped by the beast. They're going to look at this and say, wow, this is it. And they're going to follow it. The masses are going to follow the beast. They will be seduced by that beast. In contrast to whom? To those whose names are written in the book of life. There's this contrast here going on between the earth dwellers, the masses, and then those, you get this idea that it's a small, the, 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 this small group of people that they have had their names written in the book of life and they are not going to be duped. 
they will not be duped by this. They're going to recognize the beast for what it is, that it's an instr instrument of, of Satan. The true Christians that are, that are around at that point, they're going to see the same things that the world sees, but they're going to recognize it as a counterfeit. They'll have a, what we call a mind of wisdom in that. Has it, have you ever seen a, a pretty decent magic trick and all of a sudden you recognized, oh, I see how he did it, right? Everyone, the masses can look at it and say, wow, that's awesome. But if you actually know how it's done, it's not, it's not so magical anymore, right? You're not going to marvel. You're not going to be duped. And that's why it, it's imperative that we as Christians, we have this a mind of wisdom so that we could recognize the false, uh, the false um, or counterfeit empire when it, when it shows up. So let's take a look at verse 9 and 10, because this is exactly what the angel gives to John. He says in verse 9, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So when we look at this seven-headed dragon, what, what do we learn about it? What are the seven heads? The seven heads are seven kings, right? But five have fallen. What does that mean? Well, if we take from the time of, of John, who, had, who wrote this, it's, I think it's pretty clear. When you look at the five who have fallen, um, I believe this is referring to those nations that Satan has used to rise up and persecute the Jews, starting right with, with the early books of the Bible. If you go to, to Genesis, the very next book is Exodus, where you have Egypt. Egypt, I believe, is the first of those. Then remember when, when uh, the Israelites broke out of Egypt and they, they, you know, they crossed the Red Sea and they finally go to the Promised Land. They get to the Promised Land. But eventually, someone comes in and takes Israel from the north. Israel had split up into north and south. Who came in and took the north and persecuted them? The Assyrians did. Now, the south was still left, and so they survived some time longer. And, and, uh, but then another nation comes in, and they, they take over the south. Who is that? Babylon. Babylon. Exactly. It was during that time that, that Daniel wrote. And he, so he, he actually, uh, that's when he had his vision that began with Babylon. And if you go from there, you have the, the Persian Empire, or the Medo-Persian Empire, you could say. Um, and then from there, do you remember what the next, the next one was? It was Greece. Very good. It was Greece. And so, you, you know, that's where you had the first Antichrist in Antiochus Epiphanes, and he became the first Antichrist. And, and so we have five of these, these empires have fallen. So, so the angel is explaining to John the entire history of mankind here, in a sense. He's saying, so five of these heads have fallen. One of those is, well, what empire was reigning at the time. In fact, it even in incarcerated John for preaching the gospel when he received this. Rome, exactly. So the one that is, is Rome. And then he says that there is the other has not yet come. So what is the one that has not yet come? I believe that's referring to the beast of Revelation 17. This final, uh, this final conglomeration. But it's, it's interesting, too, what, what we read in the next verse, because there's a sense in which the beast is its own beast, but there's another sense in which it is a, conglom a conglomeration 
of all of the previous beasts put together, which is why we read in verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. And so even in the description of it, 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 it keeps reminding us where the ending point is. And you read that all through the text. It's going to perdition. Perdition is, is lostness, is what the word actually means. Destruction. So you see how John's putting all of this together now? It's, it's making sense. That's the seven heads. What about the ten horns? Look at verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So these ten kings, or these, the ten uh, uh, horns, represent ten kings. And this is, at least for, for John, these are, uh, this is a future alliance of nations. And so the seven heads represented the ones that have uh, the, the major empires. But at one point, there's going to be ten nations or ten kings that are going to surrender their authority at one time to the beast. Now, it's interesting, in prophecy, the number ten usually means the number of completion, right? So, so is it possible that when he says that there are ten, you know, there are ten horns, there are ten kings... That it means literally just ten? That it could be like ten nations coming together? Or could it mean that they're, that ten in the sense of, of completion? Like uh, those who represent the entire world. Something comparable to, say, like the UN. If not the UN. Um, but something like that. Either one could, would be a legitimate interpretation. Um, and so we'll have to w- wait and see which one actually it is. Um, but it, either one would be a legitimate interpretation of this. But at one time... All of these nations are going to surrender their authority to the beast, to this new world order. And what is this new world order going to do? They're going to do what they've done since Egypt. They're going to persecute God's people. Look at verse 14. These will make war with the lamb. They're going to persecute God's people. Who's the lamb? Do you remember who the lamb is in Revelation? It's Jesus Christ. And when, when, when they persecute Christians, who are they really persecuting? Jesus Christ. Remember when Paul used to persecute Christians? What did, and then Jesus showed up in a vision. What did Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? When they're persecuting God's people, they're persecuting Jesus himself. Which makes sense. If you were to persecute one of my kids you're going to have a problem with me. Right? It's the nature of God's love for us. When people persecute his, 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 his people, God takes that very seriously. And so, uh, so we see that. Let me continue to read the verse. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, faithful. And so, I mean, again, he, he kind of, it's like the angel can't help but, but throw in little, little glimpses of the end. You know, like, he's still going to talk about how this all takes place, but, but he's like, yeah, they're going to make war with land. And by the way, they lose. That's what he's doing here. He's like, all, all of these nations, they're going to come together, and this sounds all terrifying. And by the way, they're going to take, they're taking on the lamb, so they, they, they've lost it here. Right? These guys are on their way to perdition. These guys have lost it because they're taking on the lamb. Now, usually when you think of, 
of a, a mighty animal or some kind of a beast, you don't usually think of a lamb, right? That's why, that's what makes all of this so, so ironic, in a sense. I, mean, I, have, I have yet to find a, a professional sports team that calls themselves the lambs, right? I mean, you might have lions, which used to sound fierce. I, for some reason, they don't, that doesn't sound too fierce anymore. Uh, you know, or some, some kind of, you know, something with some strength, or the tigers, or the, the bears, or... Or uh, Chicago, the baby bears, the cubs. Or, I mean, that makes no sense to me. Um, uh, but you, you've, got, you've got some, usually, that represent the lamb? And he's like, oh, no, they're taking on the lamb. They, they, they took on more than they can chew. And so it's interesting to see the lamb is the one that is, is going to win because he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. So that, what does that mean? That means all of these kings we're talking about, who's really their king? The Lamb is. Jesus is. Jesus is that king. And, 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 but you look at, let's go back to what they're doing now. What, this, this final beast, this conglomeration of nations is going to be persecuting God's people and they're going to make war with the Lamb and against all those who belong to him. Who are they? Who's the target? The target's us. The target is the church. The target is Christians. In fact, look how, how we're described here. It says... Um, I mean, look at the target. The, the church, the Christians here are called, they are chosen, and they are faithful. Um, you know, it, it doesn't say the Christians are called, chosen, and faithful. It says the Christians are called, chosen, and faithful. So we've got all these three things here. Uh, they're called, they're chosen, and faithful. This group of called, chosen, and faithful people would be the same group that, was, that we're talking about just a few verses earlier when we talked about those whose names are written in the book of life. That's the same group of people. The called, the chosen, and the faithful. And what I find interesting here is that these descriptions actually mark out our path. This is what makes us different than the earth dwellers. The earth dwellers, that's the masses. They're all moving in one direction, and it's the wrong direction. What makes us different from being an earth dweller? Well, these three things. If I Read in Matthew 7. Keep, keep your finger in Revelation. We'll come back. But in Matthew 7, this is what Jesus said. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Why? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to where? Destruction. Destruction. That's where the masses go. That's where the earth dwellers go. He says, and there are many who go in by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. What's Jesus saying? Don't follow the masses, because the masses are wrong. And it's the easy way, but that easy way is going to lead to a place called destruction. Instead, he's saying, I want you to follow this narrow path, and he admits, the narrow path is difficult, it's tough, but this is the only path that leads to life. And so instead of thinking which path would I prefer to take, think about which destination do I want to go to. And that, will, that should be the decision that, that, you, that helps you make the decision where you're going in life. The crowd, the, the, the earth dwellers, the overwhelming majority of people, they're going to go in the wrong direction. And what sets us on a different course? Three things in this verse. I'd like to focus on those for a moment. Number one, we're called... We're called. What does that mean? It means that God has extended to us an invitation to the gospel. 
don't know about you, but that, that gets me every time I think about it because I don't deserve it. Anyone here deserve, deserve it? But God says, whosoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Great verse. We're called. Of course, not, you know, not all who are called are chosen. Look at, in fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 20. He said, so the last shall be first and the, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen, which takes us to that next step. We're chosen. You're chosen. We are the elect. God has chosen to destine all who respond to his call in faith to a whole new path. He's saying, I've got this special path, and it's one that does not lead to destruction, but instead it leads to life. And he's chosen us for a different path. And then thirdly, we, we must be faithful. We must be faithful. You know, if we're truly saved according to this, if we're truly saved or born again, as Jesus put it, then we will be faithful to God. We will not be duped by the deceptive ideologies and the counterfeits that Satan places before us and that he has placed before mankind to seduce mankind away from God. Remember, that's the harlot. God is our spouse, right? There's a different relationship. What, I mean, what does a harlot do? A harlot is someone who tries to seduce you away from faithfulness to your spouse. A harlot means a prostitute or a temptress. And, and that's what Satan has been doing philosophically to the world, trying to pull their affections away from God. And, and yet for us, he's saying, for those who are faithful, it's a completely different thing. And you see what's going on here? That God is, is using this angel to, to show that there's a, a division of battle lines in this cosmic battle that's going on here. And there are really only two sides. And you see this very clearly in the text that we read today. On one side, you have the beast, right? You have the beast on one side. By the way, the beast is a symbol of violence, right? The beast is a symbol of violence, and it's about destruction and death. And then on the other side, you have this lamb. It's Jesus Christ. And when you, when you look at it, and you think, which side would you rather be on in this battle, this cosmic battle that's been going on for, for, for millennia, the beast or the lamb? From a human perspective, it makes sense that the majority would choose what? The beast. The beast. But only some would go by way of following the lamb. In fact, if you look in this chapter, you find the, the beast also has at his disposal a, a global alliance, right? You have this, at, at the very least, a ten-nation alliance, and, and, uh, and they represent earth, and, but all of the, the earth dwellers are, are involved. Uh, the lamb has the church. Now, what sounds mightier to you, a global alliance or the church? Church. I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. From a, from a natural, from a human perspective, you can see why the majority would say, oh man, global alliance. On, on, the, on that side as well, you have all of the earth dwellers are marveling at this. They can say, wow, look at this. Wow, what an empire. We'd love to be a part of that. This is global. This is huge. This is all mankind unifying together. And boy, it's going to be awesome. And, and they, 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 they unite under the banner of the beast. And the lamb has those whose names are written in the book of life. And, and, you, and you find, you look at this from a human perspective and, and, and you say, boy, the beast, seem, that seems like the, the, the way to go because that's got everything. And the world will look at that and they will marvel and they will follow that. 
and they will go that direction. But we, what we have to understand, if you want to have a mind of wisdom, you have to actually see this for what it really is. And really, this is kind of like a chessboard going on, and these are the two sides going on. And what you really have to look at is, is, is not the, the fierceness of the pieces. What you have to look for is who's playing each side. Who is really playing the beast, the side of the beast? It's Satan. Who is on the side of the lamb? It's God. This is Satan versus God. And so for this reason, I would say it's best to choose the side of the lamb. It's best to choose the side of the lamb. Remember what the angel kind of hinted at already in verse 14 when he said, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Choose the side of the lamb. Let's talk about applications here for a moment. I've got three of them that, that I've put in here and there's many more you could have. The first one is, is kind of a long one, so bear with me. But it's this. Do not be seduced by the lie that world peace can be accomplished by unifying the governments of man. That's where the world is going to go. They're going to get to a point where they feel like the way to solve all of mankind's problems is going to be for mankind to unite under one government. And by the way, all you have to do is watch the news and you see that that's the direction we're headed. Right? This is yes, this is no. You can disagree with me if you want. Okay, see more of these? Okay. It's true. A one world government might sound enticing, but it will be directed by Satan himself. And you need to know that. That also means that we shouldn't get our hopes up uh, for a political solution to mankind's problem with sin. The real problem is sin, right? And we look for political solutions to that, and I, I don't think we're going to find it there. And I'm not trying to get too, I don't want to get too political today. I, yes, of course, I think we should vote the best that we can. But understand this, no matter who you vote for, you will always be voting for the lesser of two evils, at best. And that's if you understand the two parties, or the two candidates, or whatever, in any, in any situation. If you understand them the best. So don't get caught up in all this mudslinging and the hatred. and all, that, Then you're just participating in the sin that is the real problem to begin with. Amen? And so I'm not saying we shouldn't be political. I, I, I think Christians need to do their share. I, I understand all of that. But what I'm saying is that really we shouldn't put our hope in that because in reality, only when the king of kings is reigning are things going to be working the way they should. Does that make sense? And so, uh, so understand that. Don't, don't be seduced by the lie that world peace can be accomplished through unifying the governments of man. Remember what Jesus said back in, in verse uh, 13 of Matthew 7? He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So don't follow the crowd. Have a mind of wisdom. Application number two. Know that you're set on an upstream path. Here, the battle lines are drawn, right? And we, we are the underdogs from the world's perspective. I get that but you need to line up on the right side. And the easiest path, according to this, is to go with the flow. The easiest path is to go with the direction that, uh, of the world, but God has called us to go against the flow. I remember one time when I was a, a counselor at camp, and uh, Lake Ann has this philosophy that there's no such thing as bad campers. That's the, 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 they're just opportunity campers. 
Yep. And I had, a, I had a, a, a whole cabin full of opportunities one, <laughs> one, one year. And, and these guys were smart. I would even say dangerous. I mean, uh, you know, one of them had actually built a working bomb and, and uh, put it in his church at one point. I mean, these were, oh, I almost said bad kids. Opportunity kids, right? And, uh, and so I knew that if these kids had energy, they would get into trouble. And so we were doing, it's called Fresh Start, so we do, we do rafting for three days. And, and so I called them all over and said, guys, we need to have a talk. So while the other guys got on their rafts and, and they went downstream, I had the guys and I'm talking to them. And I don't, I don't even know what I said. I was just kind of killing time because I didn't want them to see where everyone else went. And then we got to our, our, our raft and we got it in the raft. And I said, all right, guys, now uh, we need to go up this river. And... Uh, and so we got in that, and we started paddling upriver in a raft. Um, if you've ever paddled in a raft, going upriver is not easy. And I waited till these guys were, like, exhausted. And I said, all right, turn around, because we're really supposed to go the other way. Right? And so that way, by the time they went to, we got to our campsite for that night, they were ready to go to sleep. And we kept all the kids safe for the night. I know, it's a cheesy illustration, but all of that to say... When you think about what it was like to be in the raft and going upstream, that's not easy, right? I mean, it's so much easier to go downstream because really all you have to do is turn, right? You just put the paddle in the right side and, and, and you can turn and, and you'd, you'd think that's pretty easy. It's, it, you still find ways to mess that up sometimes, but, uh, but it's, it's much, much easier to go downstream than it is to go upstream. But you know what? God has called us to go upstream. He's called us on a path that is not easy. And I'll tell you what, a lot of times we try to, to evangelize by telling the world how great it is uh, and how nice the life is going to be on this earth to be a Christian. Here's the reality. If you want to have a really nice life on this planet, then, then you might not want to choose Christianity. You say, well, Pastor Dave, that, that doesn't sound very evangelistic. It is, and here's why. You know, because the, the way that the world goes is much easier, honestly. But where it leads is death. Where the upstream path leads to is life. And so when you, when you look at that, in fact, isn't that what Jesus, Jesus said? Uh, you know, that, that's the, that is the proper way. Now understand, we're going on an upstream path. And, and so point, point number three, I've made it very simple, is be okay with that. Think about it. Be okay with the fact that the life that we have is going to be upstream. Boy, it is a lot easier when someone does something to me to respond, you know, something bad to me to respond with, with vengeance. That's the easy way. But to love that person, to love your enemy, boy, that's tough. It's not easy to love your enemy. I'll tell you what, our, our culture needs more loving your enemies, doesn't it? And it's, it's not easy, but we need to be okay with going on this upstream, up, upstream path. Why? Because the narrow path, that difficult path, the upstream path, is the only one that ends at a place called life. It's the only one. Why else? Because... Revelation 17, 14 says it. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. 
Why else? Because the lamb will overcome. You want to be on the side of the winner, and you've got to be on the side of Christ. So at this point, I would like to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Not to pray right now. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes because I want to ask a question, and I, don't, I want it to be between you and me and God and no one else. Is there anyone in here today who would say, Pastor Dave, up to this point, I would have to say, I've been following the world. I've just been going with the flow. But I want to accept Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. And I want to do that today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But I'm going to ask you, if that's a decision you'd like to make today, would you just raise your hand? Look up at me. I see that hand. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Any others? Well, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to share with you a verse from Scripture that you could know for sure that you have eternal life. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This will totally change your eternal destiny. You'll be saved from sin and death and hell and all the consequences of those things. If you do those two things, what were they? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. In other words, you come to that point where you say, I don't want to be the Lord of my own life anymore. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And then to say, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he was raised from the dead to pay for my sins. And that faith in Jesus is what gives you that gift of eternal life. So right now I'm going to pray. And if you raised your hand, or if you, if you wanted to raise your hand, and that's you and you want to make that decision today, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Now, it's not like some magic formula, but I'm going to include both of those two things so that you could know for sure you have eternal life when you walk outside these doors today. Pray with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have done nothing to deserve to go to heaven. And I deserve, because of my sin, the death and hell, like, just like everybody else. But Lord, I today want to receive the free gift of eternal life. And I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life today. And I believe that he died on the cross and paid for my sins. And I thank you for that free gift of eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name.